This morning, what I'd like to do is actually not turn to a Christmas passage, per se, but conclude our study in the book of Galatians. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. And I think as we read the scripture, we were reminded that every word is given to us by God. It's breathed out or inspired, and it is profitable for every occasion. And so I am trusting that the Lord is going to use his word in preparation for Christmas parties, for gatherings, and in preparation for your Christmas this coming week. And then, Lord willing, next Sunday as we gather on Christmas Eve, um, we'll have a, a message right there from one of those classic Christmas passages. I'm in Galatians chapter 6, and we've been working through this book through the fall. And if God wills, we'll end it today. It's been a study of which we have looked at the major theme of this message of the Bible, that we are made right with God by what those ladies just sang, by being on the cross, Jesus dying on the cross for us, and believing by faith alone that he has saved us. This is a a message that Paul has fought for and defended throughout these six chapters. And let's conclude today as we look at Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. We're just going to pray. Father, we do want to thank you for the Bible that's been preserved to us. It is in our language, and we can understand it. We have confidence to know that these are the words that you intended us to hear and read These are not just man's words, but these are your words. And over the next several minutes now, you are going to be speaking to us as your word is read and repeated and and taught from. And so may we not take this lightly now. May we understand the moment that you have a word from us, for us here, that we can apply in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage, as we've seen throughout the book of Galatians, it's clear that what Paul is doing is comparing two different types of people within the churches of Galatia. On one hand, the first half of this passage are the people that are glorying in their own strength. They are boasting in their flesh. They are sharing 
their own personal achievements and accomplishments. Paul is going to contrast that with what it looks like to glory in the cross of Christ, to boast in the accomplishments of what Jesus has done on the cross. I think you will find that these two people, these two different types of people, still exist in the churches today. So let's first consider what it looks like to glory in self, or to boast, to brag in self. As we look at chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, then you are aware that it is very common for him to conclude or to begin one of his letters by personal greetings, by offering so-and-so, it greets you, or as I'm signing off, would you please greet so-and-so for me? But the book of Galatians is absent from any of that. We can conclude from this that Paul's message is so urgent that there isn't time for him to greet people. If you look here again at verse 11, it says, I am writing to you with my own hand. The other epistles, Paul would have had a secretary that would have taken this message down through dictation. You you write down what I am telling you. And then he might have signed off the letter with the last verse or two. But in the book of Galatians, it says, I am writing this with my own hand. Now, that could have been the whole letter or, at the very least, the last couple of paragraphs. Paul is so invested in this message that the people of Galatia and the people of Green Bay and the surrounding communities understand that our only hope of being forgiven of sins is by faith alone in what Jesus has done. So Paul says, I'm writing this myself. And then he looks at this first group of people in the church, those who glory in self. Look at what it says in the first half of verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. So one of the descriptions of those who glory in self is they have a life of show. They make a good showing, as it says there in verse 12. These are the people that will attend a local church, and as they are walking through the worship center, as they are entering someone's home for small group Bible study, or they are entering a Bible study room before the worship service, they are consumed with these thoughts. I wonder what these people will think of me. I wonder what sort of impression I will leave. I wonder if these people esteem me and like me and and want to be my friends. And with those thoughts pervading their mind, they act accordingly. And so they want to be seen for their good works. They are good actors. Jesus warned us about people like this in Matthew 6. He said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received the reward. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. And when you fast... Do not be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The first group of people we see here are those that glory in their own strength. They are glorying in their own flesh, as we read about in the fifth chapter. They are self-conscious. They boast about their accomplishments. When they get together during the Christmas parties, they're going to be bragging about their children and their grandchildren. But they will be concealing all of the secret sin of their lives. Why? Because if the people here really knew what I was struggling with and who I really was, then I don't know that anyone want to talk to me or anyone want to enter into a relationship with me. The first group of people glory in themselves And one description of them is they have a life of show. A second description that we see in this passage is they have a life of compromise. Look at the second part of verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The second description here we see of those who are glorying in themselves is a life of compromise. To proclaim the gospel, as we see here in the book of Galatians, will offend people. I can think of an anniversary that my wife and I went on many years ago. We were in Lower Michigan. We were at a bed and breakfast that was owned by a couple that had just bought this place. And as my wife and I were enjoying the amenities, we entered into a conversation with the owners. And when they asked what I did for a living, I shared with them that I was a pastor. It seemed like just a natural open door to be able to share the gospel with them. And so it led to a question like, let me ask you, if you were to stand before God, and he asked, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer? And the woman spoke about her good works And how she tried to love others as she wanted to be loved. And as we talked further about what the gospel was, I said, ma'am, your good works will not get you to heaven. You need Christ and what he has done. She got very angry. And I will tell you that that put a cloud that changed our whole anniversary of just that conversation right there. I think of a time on the farm... I was visiting with one of my strong-willed, one of my strong-willed aunts. And there was an opportunity there just to share the gospel with her. And once again, sharing with her that you, you are not good enough to get to heaven. You need the bloody cross of Christ. That is why he has come. And, and, and feeling the, the pushback that came with that message. That message is offensive. And within the church... Those who are glorying in themselves, they do not want to present that uncomfortable message. 
because it might cost them some resistance and some pushback. And so within the church, there are those that are like cafeteria. They want to arrive when they want to. And they only want to take on the ministry that suits them, that will not cost them at all. And so they scoop some here and and, and scoop some there. But they're not willing to take on the cost of sharing the gospel because it will lead to resistance. Oh, if we were like Paul, if we were like Jesus, who would proclaim the gospel as boldly as they were, rest assured there would be fruit, but rest assured there would also be resistance. Consider the circle of friends and the circle of acquaintances that you have. And if you really shared with them the gospel to say that that priest cannot save you, Mary, the mother of Jesus, cannot save you. In fact, they need to be saved from their sins. If you were so bold, you too would experience some level of persecution. Well, there is a group of people in the church there in Galatia that are glorying in their, their own flesh. They're glorying in themselves. And as a result, when ministry calls for hard stuff, When ministry infringes on their personal time and conveniences, they don't want anything to do with that. There's a third characteristic of that group of people that glory in their own flesh, glory in their own life, and it's a life of hypocrisy. Look what it says there in verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. So there's a group of people. These are the false teachers there within the churches of Galatia. They are insisting that in order to be right with God, you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law. But listen, they're not even keeping the law. And to give them a little grace, no one could keep all of the law. They're very skilled. They're very eloquent in delivering a lesson. They're very knowledgeable about the scriptures. Maybe we would say it this way, when they sing their special, they're really beautiful or very masculine in in their voice. But when you follow them home and you listen to the way they talk to their wife or their husband or their children or their, their parents, when you follow them to the workplace and when you observe them in private, you find out that their life looks very different than the song they just sung or the lesson they just taught. They are hypocrites. Jesus warned again in Matthew 23. He said, the scribes and Pharisees sit at Moses' feet. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And there's a fourth characteristic, that of a person that's life is about the flesh. They are people that glory in themselves. And they live a life of externals. Externals. Look at the last part of verse 14 by which the world has been crucified to me, rather, verse 13, but they desire to have you circumcised 
that they may boast in your flesh. There's a group of people within the churches of Galatia that gloried in themselves and they measured their maturity based on external behavior. In this case, if they could get followers to get circumcised, then they could measure their success. Look at all the people I have following me. Look at how big my Bible study is. Look how, look how large our church gatherings are. And Paul is saying that that is of the flesh. He is saying that you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. Paul is speaking to them that the Christian life is not about external behavior, but it's really about what's going on within the heart. So there is the first group of people. Paul has been railing on them throughout this book. And before he leaves the book, puts the pen down, he he hits them one more time and says their life is about the flesh. They glory in their own strength. Now, if you remember the life of Paul, you would know this, that if anyone could brag about accomplishments, it would have been Paul. In another letter, in Philippians chapter 3, he said this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, in other words, if anyone's going to brag on the flesh, it would be me. If anyone else thinks he has reason and confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So there's a second group here in the churches of Galatia. The first, glory and self. The second, glory in the cross of Jesus. Look with me at what it says in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Up until this point, there's been a progression in his thought of people boasting within themselves. And so he uses the word but to interrupt that thought. And then he uses the strongest Greek language there is when he says, far be it from me. May that not be said about me. I don't want anything to do with that way of life. I've lived that way of life and there's a better way to live. And so he says this, I'm going to glory. I'm going to boast. I'm going to brag. But it's going to have nothing to do with what I'm capable of. But it's going to be all about what Christ has accomplished. As it says there, Boast, except in the cross. Now we are so far removed from the stigma and the horror of this cross connotation. Back in the first century, a polite conversation would have never even included the word or the idea of the cross. 
It was so abhorring. It was so awful. Today, well, we have a cross at our church. We have a cross probably on our jewelry. But back then, it would not have been said. Can you imagine today saying, I'm going to glory. I'm going to boast in. I'm going to brag in the electric chair. We wouldn't do it, would we? I want to glory in, in, in seeing someone hanged by a rope or by lethal injection. It seems those two don't seem to belong in the same sentence. But it isn't just this piece of wood, is it? As you look a little bit further, you see it's by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word Jesus is mentioned 45 times, or the word Christ, or uh, Jesus is mentioned 45 different times in the book of Galatians. That's approximately every third verse. We see it here, that he is going to glory, but he is going to glory in what Jesus has done. So what does it mean, the glory in the cross? To glory or to boast in the cross is to have a view that Jesus' death for you is the most important event in your life. And to draw from its significance or the benefits from it on a daily basis. To brag, to glory in the cross is to remember that it's through the cross that we have access to grace that has been given to us. So Paul is saying, I'm not boasting anymore in that kind of stuff, but I'm going to glory in what Jesus has done for me. And it's through here that we can know God. As you read through the Old Testament and through the Scriptures, you might read about how God is the great Creator. You might read about how man is sinful. And before long, it seems that God is distant It seems like he is so holy and sin is so severe that he is continually punishing his own people. But it is through the cross, through what Jesus has done for us, that he lays a bridge down to us, that we can enter into a personal relationship with this wonderful creator God. We can know God. We can also know love. There are times... Maybe some of you are like me, where it seems like my emotions can get the best of me. And I could be gloomy. I could be downcast for, for, in some cases, for no significant reason. And it's helpful for me to be reminded of God's love, to know His love. There's times where I may not feel forgiven. I can feel condemned. I can feel guilty. But when I review and Go back to the cross. I am reminded of the love. And it is there where my identity is to be fastened to. We can know God. We can can know love. And we can know in the midst of trouble that God really will work all things together for good. Because as we are glorying in the cross and we think about this most unjust event in human history. An innocent man being crucified on the cross and we see how God were good from that. 
well, then he'll work good in whatever I find myself in today. And then we can ultimately know ourselves as we glory in the cross. Listen to what John Stott said about this. He said, so the cross tells us some very unwelcome truths about ourselves, namely that we are sinners under the righteous curse of God's law and that we cannot save ourselves. Christ bore our sin and curse precisely because we could be set free from them in no other way. If we could have been forgiven by our own good works, by being circumcised and keeping the law, we may be quite sure that we would never have needed the cross. But every time we look at the cross, it seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to the size like the cross. All of us have an inflated view of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we visit a place called Calvary. It is there, at the foot of the cross, that we shrink to our true size. Now, there are some benefits that come when we glory in the cross. And Paul is going to give us three of them. Look at the next part of verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So what does it look like to glory in the cross, to have a life that is dead to the world? Now, when we think of this concept of world, we know what this is referring to. This is the world that has fallen. It is a a comprehensive system in which the devil rules. He prioritizes materialism. He prioritizes sensual pleasures. The gratification of these fleshly desires. What people think of us. These are the ways of the world. But what Paul is saying is that when I was born again, and now I've learned to glory in the cross, the world and all its temptations are dead to me. I remember as a little boy, I spent a few summers in Reedsburg. And in June, in Reedsburg, here in Wisconsin, they have what was called Butterfest. Yeah, that's the carnival that would come to town. And they would have uh, uh, all the rides. They'd have all the carnival games. And, and you know, as a 10, 12-year-old boy, man, there's not much better than that. And so maybe I had a $5 bill in my pocket. And I would go to the Butterfest. And I would walk up and down the aisle where all these carnies were. And they would call out for me. And they would say, come on over here, young boy. You see all these stuffed animals up here? And they'd be hanging from the ceiling. Did I want them? Not at all. But there was something about that said, you need to have those, right? And one of these guys would say, you know, you look like an athlete. Here, take this ball and just just 
shoot it down this little lane and there would be like these glass Coke bottles arranged in the configurement of bowling pins. Here, look here. And and I'd shoot it down and you know what happened? I'd knock all the pins down. And he'd say, you know what? If you would have paid me a dollar, you would have been able to get some of these stuffed animals. So here, why don't you try it this time and you can do it officially. And you know what would happen, right? I'd send that ball down there and I'd get almost all of them, but there'd be a few hanging. You know what? You're getting better at this, I can tell. Why don't you try it another time? And I'd send it down there again, same sort of thing. You know what? That technique was a little bit better. Uh, Why don't you give me another dollar and then you can do it. And then this time, I remember this, I, I shot it down there and I knocked them all down. He said, you did really good, but... Your hand was across the line. I'm not exaggerating. And so I gave him one more dollar. By the time I left the Butterfest, I had no stuffed animal and no money. (laughs) And it reminds me of the allurement of the world, right? Come, come, you really want to do this. You're really good at this. It's just going to cost you a little bit, but you're going to have a lot of fun. And, And if you win this, think of what all the people will think of you as you walk around with this big stuffed animal. And as I advanced into my teen years, the world's temptations tweaked a bit. If you really want to enjoy yourself, come out with us drinking. Find one of these beautiful women to be with. And now as I sit around and I'll watch a football game and watch these commercials, it's, it's real, the real measure of a man is whether I drive a $70,000 pickup truck or whether I can buy my wife a $10,000 diamond ring, right? And so there's this pull from the world. But what Paul is saying is that as he is glorying in the cross, that pull from the world is gone. It's like what Mick Jagger saying, I can't get no satisfaction because I've tasted Christ and everything the world is providing for me just doesn't satisfy. I am dead to the world. Imagine with me that there is a funeral this afternoon of which I'm the one that is dead. We'll just do it that way. And, and here is my body. Here is my corpse laid out here. And I am lying. I don't know how they lie. Maybe something like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm lifeless. And someone comes up and whispers in my ear, you know, Chad, you're the worst pastor in Green Bay. And the only reason that people would attend is because they like your wife and your sons. I mean, you are such a loser. And there I lay. And then someone comes up to that same corpse and says, Did you know that Broadway down here has has their pickup trucks with 0% financing, zero money down? Do you realize that if you got one of those, what all your peers would think of you? And there I lay. And then someone comes up with their phone and says, Chad, you got to check out these impure images. Watch, watch some of these videos. And there I lay. And you know what's happened? They've had no effect on me at all. Why? Because I'm dead. And that's what Paul is saying. That when we are glorying in the cross, that the effects of the world, the pull is weakened. 
there is nothing there for us. How many of you experienced that? Many of you have, haven't you? So that's one description of what it looks like, the glory and the cross. The life is dead to the world. Let me give you a few more just based on what the scriptures say here. That there's a life of new creation. Look what it says in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. When one glories in the cross of what Jesus has done for them, they realize that the works that they could have done, like circumcision, maybe we would say like baptism, they count for nothing. But only the work that Christ has done in your life and making you a new person. And it was by the grace that cascades down from the cross into our lives that makes us a new creation. The Spirit of God is working in us, renewing us day by day. And this is not so much a self-improvement project, but it is a new self-project as we walk in the Spirit, sowing seeds in the Spirit. And then finally, what else does it look like to glory in the cross of Christ? It's a life of suffering. Look what it says in verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Throughout this letter, Paul has been referring to some of these false teachers. And they are speaking against Paul. But then he says, let no one cause me trouble here in verse 17. Don't you know what I have gone through to get to this point of these churches. He says there, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Back in this day, slaves would be branded. They would literally have their skin scorched with an emblem, with the initials of their master, so that everyone would know he belongs to me or she belongs to me. What Paul is saying is he's been scorched. He's been burned by the marks of proclaiming this gospel message. And if you remember Acts chapter 14, this is the chapter in which we learn about how the churches of Galatia came to be. Then you would remember that Paul had stones that were thrown on him in Lystra, a city in Galatia. They dragged him out of Lystra To die right there, he wakes up, he comes to, and he enters the next city of Galatia, Derby. In fact, if you were ministering with Paul, and it was a hot day, and you said, man, we've been ministering all day, Paul, how about we go for a little swim? And you take your shirts off, and you go out into the sea, you'd say, Paul, Brother, what happened to your body? As you would see all the wounds, the disfigurements that came from the beatings. And Paul is saying, listen, don't let any of those false teachers question who I am. My body bears the marks of glorying in the cross. He would say in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 25, 
Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with a greater, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all the other things, There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So I don't want to paint to you a rosy picture here. When we glory in the cross, oh, we might be dead to the world. We might exhibit the life of the new creation. But it doesn't doesn't keep us from trouble. But in that trouble, there's a purpose in it. There's grace available to us. I'd like to end this series the way I began. I want to remind you that this message that has been passed down to us, that's contained here in the book of Galatians, most specifically, that we are saved by faith alone, is a precious message. As Paul was beaten for it, he was stoned for it, our forefathers have also experienced persecution. Have you ever heard of a man named Hugh Latimer? He was an English-speaking. He was the son of a farmer. He at one time went to school to be a priest and defended Roman Catholicism. One day, someone shared the gospel with him. And Mr. Latimer became a Christian. His eyes were open to what the scriptures taught. And he began to proclaim boldly that one is saved by faith alone. And he became very outspoken against the Roman Catholic Church. One day he was arrested as an old man. Him and a few other brothers in the Lord were brought before the authorities. And there were three articles that were laid down before him and they said to him, These are articles that speak about the Lord's Supper, that Christ is physically present at the Lord's Supper. What do you say to these? And Pastor Latimer held up his New Testament, and he said, that is not found anywhere in this book. And a short period of time later, he was burned with another brother at the stake. So this message that we are proclaiming that Paul has preserved for us in the book of Galatians, people have literally laid their life down for it. May we not glory in our own flesh, but may we glory in the cross of Christ. And may we be found faithful stewards of this precious gospel message that has been given to us. Would you pray with me? Our Father, as we think about this Christmas season, 
It's been wonderful for us to sing of this Savior that is born. And it's easy for us to feel some pressure, maybe some anxiety when we gather around others, family members and friends for Christmas parties and be tempted to glory in ourselves. Be tempted to guide conversations so that we can look good, so that people will think well of us. We have this tendency to teach very accurately the things of Scripture, but not be able to follow them up with our own lives. We're reminded today of what Jesus did on the cross. He he alone is the one who was able to practice what he preached. He is the one who doesn't have hypocrisy. He is the one who never compromised. He is the one who focused on true obedience to you. Oh, we come today again in need of grace. We are in need of the forgiveness of sins as we compare ourselves to what we see here in Galatians 6. So we come humbly saying, would you please forgive us? Would you please transform us? And may it be said of us that our lives, glory, we brag, we boast on the most significant event in our lives that Jesus died for us. And we experience the benefits of that every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing this song together? I'll be here at the front if there's a way that I could pray for you. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you can do that.